0: Lord, who the Son has set free is free indeed. We thank you for the freedom we have in Christ, the one who lived, who died, who rose again for our justification and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us even now. And we praise you and we thank you for it. We thank you for the gathering this morning, what we've heard already in Sunday school. We've heard from the scriptures that have read and the songs that have been sung to bring glory to you. And we pray now that as your word is preached, that once again, Jesus Christ would be held high and lifted up and men and women will be drawn to him. Quiet our hearts, give us listening ears and hearts and minds. Give me freedom and boldness and liberty. Spirit of God, work in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, four- and five-year-olds. If you're still with us and screaming, you are dismissed. And as they're finding their way, I'd ask you to find your way to 1 John chapter 2. And then we will eventually... Make our way to John chapter 15. First John chapter 2, starting at verse 28. And now, little children abide in him. Again, we started last week with this portion of scripture. John is writing to his beloved church family, calling them little children. And he says, And now abide in him. That abide is a verb, it is a present, active, imperative. It's a command. And John is writing to the people he loves, his sons and daughters in Christ, saying, listen, the command is abide. It has the idea to do something in the future that involves continuous and repeated action. And so John is speaking to the people he loves, and he's telling them, listen, abide. This is continuous, repeated. It's a command. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If you're here for the first time this morning, you missed last week. This is sort of a review, and we're going to work our way through this quickly, and hopefully, by God's grace, finish this morning. But we found last week that in abiding in him, this command that John gives, is in this abiding that the believer in Christ finds fortitude matter of fact, in our text it says that we may have confidence and be not ashamed. We can have fortitude, boldness in our Christian walk and need not be ashamed as we abide in Him. Not only that, we'll see today in John 15 that abiding in Him brings fruitfulness in our spiritual life. Our lives begin to produce a fruit that gives life, life to all that we come in contact with. Not only that, abiding in Him... It's through that that we find our prayers being answered by the Father. In abiding in Him, the Father Himself is glorified, and when we abide in Him, there is fullness of joy. And so it's imperative this morning, as we once again begin, that we need to know what this means. If it produces all of these things, if our longing is for this, if we're going to follow this commandment, what does it mean to abide? Here's the definition. To remain. To remain. To continue, to stay in the same place over a period of time. We said last week that this idea of being near and staying in the place and, and remaining means to stay at home, just to stay there, to be there, to enjoy. That's what John tells us to do. And John is drawing from the very words of Christ some 50 to 60 years earlier from John chapter 15. Let's turn there this morning. And Jesus will use this analogy, this picture of him being the true vine and we are the branches. And in this, let me remind you that our faith, the Christian faith, is one of relationship. The triune, eternal God of heaven within the triunity, experiencing and enjoying mutual love and affection invites us in to that community with him. It's a relationship. And not only that, he invites all of us as brothers and sisters into community. In 1 John, John's speaking, and he says, These things we write to you that you might have fellowship with us, relationship with us, communion with us, for truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. It is relational. And so Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. We talked last week, and we said that Jesus abides in us. He is not the problem. This morning, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that Christ through his spirit abides in you. A matter of fact, without that spirit, you are none of his. Christ comes up and takes his abode in our life, not because we're religious, not because we're good, not because we try to follow the laws and the rules, but because of sheer grace. We repent and receive. He then abides in us. He's not going anywhere. He is there to stay. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The God of heaven abides in the life of the believer. The spirit of Christ abides in you. You need to let that permeate your heart and mind this morning. Listen, Christ is going nowhere. Nowhere. But let's acknowledge this morning the truth of the matter on this planet. There are often times in our lives, as believers, it doesn't feel that way. There are times that we know Christ, we love Christ, we know of his salvation, and yet we go through dark, troubling times where it seems as if heaven as as brass. We don't feel, we don't sense. It's almost as if he's distant from us. This is the reality of our humanness a matter of fact, you see this all along the Bible. In the Old Testament, a third of our psalms are psalms of lament, where people are crying out, God, what's going on? And many of them say things like this, where are you? What are you doing? Do you hear? Do you care? Do you sense what's happening in my life? Does Jesus care what I've lost the dearest to me? Where are you? And we have to acknowledge, we've been there. He says, I abide in you, and there's a time that we sense, where are you? But let me remind you this morning, we do not live our life by how we feel. It's disastrous. The feelings don't drive us. We live our life by truth. And the truth is, Jesus has not left the building He has not left your building. He is not going anywhere. And it is in these times of darkness, in grief, of loneliness, of wondering where he's at, it's in these very seasons that he is doing something that we could never imagine. He is taking us to places where our faith must grow. It must expand. And we are being shaped and defined in ways that would otherwise not happen. He is with us. What can separate from his love? Nothing. Nothing. I'm persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of Christ, regardless of how I feel this morning. And I love the old hymn, Um, And I love it, I can't even think of it. But I love it, I really love it. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, Jesus speaking, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. The soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. This is our Christ, and He abides. He is not the problem. Unfortunately for us, as we sang just a few moments ago, we are prone to wander. We feel it, we sense it. I hate it, and I know it. I know it. And Jesus is saying to His disciples this morning abide in me, stay in me, remain there in this relationship. There's no need to move. Lean in to me. And believer, we must lean in to him. This is how the relationship works. We have a living Christ, and he's already given this illustration of saying, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was known as a vine, and they were called to show the people of the world the goodness and grace of God, the true God, and they failed miserably. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I well, want you know something. I am the true vine. I do those things that please the Father. I will show you what it means to walk in light with Him. He is the true vine. And in this picture, um, it is intimate, it is organic. The vine gives life to the branches. You cannot separate those things, it's impossible. And so He says, I am the vine. Stay there, be near, because without me, you can do nothing, literally nothing, whatever. Anything of value and substance and of eternal worth cannot be done in our flesh without staying near and staying home with Christ. He is our power. He is our source. Source. He is our strength. He is everything. Stay at home. Believer, there is no other place to go. Where will you go for strength and sustenance and support and help? You've tried everything else. Stay at home in Him. Not only stay at home in Him, number two this morning, stay at home in His Word. Look at John 15, verses 7 and 8. John 15, verse 7. If you abide... In me and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. For, this, for by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This morning we are to stay home in him, to abide. We are to stay home in his word. His word. Let me remind you this morning we're not talking about a great teacher a moral example, a mere human being, a social influencer. We're talking about His Word. The Word that spoke everything into existence. Everything we see, know, touch, feel. The things we can't see, know, touch, feel. It all came from His Word. His Word is power. The power of creation. The power of life. The power of truth. Real, absolute truth. And we are to have his word stay, abide, remain. It should be at home in our lives. My brother and sister in Christ this morning, is his word abiding at home in our hearts and our minds and our lives? Charles Haddon Spurgeon was speaking about John Bunyan, the the great author of Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim's Progress was the second best-selling book of all time behind the Bible up until the mid-19th century. It's an allegory of the Christian life. Bunyan was just filled with the Word. And Spurgeon said this about Bunyan. He said, if you were to cut John Bunyan, he would bleed Scripture. He would bleed Scripture. He was so infused by it. It so transformed his life. He couldn't help it. It was in him. It was at home in Bunyan. I love what uh, William Hendrickson in his commentary on John says about this very text, about the word abiding you. He says, His words become the dynamic of one's life, taking complete control over a person so that he both believes them and acts in accordance with, With them. For the word to abide in us, it means this that the word of God becomes the dynamic of our very life. It so controls me and you that I not only believe what he said, but I act upon what he said. We are to be people of the book, we act in accordance to what he says. Whether culture agrees or not, whether we like it or not, without exception and without excuses. It's amazing how we treat the Bible as believers. We run to it for comfort, but we ignore it for correction. Tozer says we need to allow it to correct us the same way in which we allow it to encourage us. To encourage us. I've been born again now. For a long time. I was going to do the math in my head. This is not the morning to try. I was saved when I was 12. I'm 53 now. What's the, what's the number? 41. 41. Thank you. 41 years. I knew one person or two would know. 41 years. I've, I've been this long enough now. Ministry 31 years. That I have watched the word of God change the lives of people. Completely. Drastically change their lives. It is the word, my brother and sister, that's going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to be the word of God. We grew up in a a rigid system. And, And good people, godly people, lovely people, but just rigid. And so in those systems that are somewhat legalistic, we draw really broad lines. Everything is black and white. That's what legalists do. Everything is black and white. Liberal, nothing is black and white. They're, they're both problematic, right? We have the Spirit of God and the Word of God to guide us through this life and, and live lives of skillful wisdom. But one of the things that they did well were there, there were these just statements that sort of stuck with you that were truths. It's like, this is it. And we used to have a truth that said, um, five ways to strive when you, when you know Christ. I'm going to go through them backwards. Um, number five was um, to give. To give. Giving is an act of worship. Number four was to witness, to tell people of your faith. It it grows us, it puts us out there. We're sharing what we found. Number three was to stay in church. Every time it's open, go to community. We rub shoulders with one another. We, we, are, we are molded and shaped by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, pray. And the number one answer was read the word. Read the word. We must read. The word. It must become part of us. It must be at home in our lives. It must be that I, it's, it's the dynamic of my life in such a way that it takes complete control over me. Is it any wonder? Look at verse seven again. And this is often ripped out of context. We should read it in context. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that they take control of your life, it's the dynamic of your life, you believe and act upon it, You will ask what you desire, and it will be done to you. Did you hear what he said? That in my life, as the word of God takes such control of my life, I'm not going to ask for things that are outside of his will, because all I want is for his will to be done, because his word guides my life. Nothing contrary. I want his will to be done, because his word so fills me. Stay at home in him. Stay at home in his word. Number three, Stay at home in his love. Look at verses 9 and 10 this morning. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There are times as believers we read the word of God, and we're checking our boxes and we're getting through the chapter or the chapters. And we don't stop to think about what we just read. And that's to our own hurt spiritually. The other day, Kim and I were up at some terrible time in the morning, 4 o'clock. She was up, I was up. And then she said, hey, you want to just get up? i like, yeah, sure, let's get up. Want a coffee? No, not a coffee. It's a little too early for that. So I'm going to make you a tea. I am not a tea drinker, right? Nothing against tea drinkers. God bless you all. I'm a coffee drinker. And, and my coffee, when I have it, I put cream in it. Don't judge. I, I don't want to hear from the black coffee people. I don't care, right? <laughs> really. Cream. I put cream in it. And, and the cream makes it so I could drink my coffee in about 30 seconds. It's cream that tastes like it has a coffee flavor to it. That's how I drink it, right? Tea is not that way. So I sit down for a cup of tea, thinking it would be like my coffee. It's hot. Like, it is really, really hot. So hot that i had to <laughs> take a sip. That cup of tea lasted for over an hour. An hour. I never finished it. It was way too hot for me, all right? Listen to me. Oftentimes, we go through the Word of God like our cup of coffee. It should be like a cup of tea to stop for just a moment. Let me read again what Jesus just said. He said, As the Father loved me, so I also have loved you. So, we, so take a sip of tea. How does the Father love the Son? Well, in a few chapters, you're going to find out that Jesus says, You have loved me? before the foundation of the world. In eternity, past, before there was time, the Father loved the Son. The Father enjoyed the Son. The Father adored the Son. So much so, that while Jesus walked this planet, the skies opened wide, and the voice of the Father thundered, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's a father's love for the son. And you and I get a sense of this. When we know someone who we love and respect, and they're important to us, when they say to us, hey, I'm really proud of you. I adore you. I love you. It changes our world. This is how the father views the son. Okay? As the father has loved me. Now take another sip of tea. Because listen to what he says next. So I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. And this is where, if we're thinking, we stop and say, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. That can't be the case. Because I know me. I know me. I am not Jesus. I am not perfect. I know me. Several weeks ago, we had the opportunity to see our seventh grandchild, and on the way back, there were like, I don't know, maybe four or five delays. If you can keep from flying these days, keep from flying. It's terrible. And so there's only so much reading you can do, only so many conversations you can do, only so many things you can listen to. And so after a while, if you're at the airport, what you ought to do is just look around. Right? And so just in looking around and just glancing through the people there, I found the loud, obnoxious, attention-seeking me monsters. And that was just me in the first 30 seconds. And as we continued to look, Kim and I both, we just turned to each other and said, There is no hope for humanity. None. The way they treat each other, how they treat their kids, how they interact, how they treat the agents, how they treat the vendors. It was like humanity is doomed. It's doomed. We are unlovable people. And so we hear this and think, there's no way. But let me remind you of the original audience that Jesus is speaking to. Because that's the context. He's speaking to 11 disciples in front of him. Think of the diversity of this group. There were fishermen. And I know the middle class is something new to us, but maybe the working poor, but fishermen. Salty, middle class kind of fishermen who sometimes say things that they probably not ought to say. Fishermen. Then there was a tax collector. The wealthy opportunistic Right, Say that five times fast. All about money, all about wealth. Willing to betray his own country to line his pocket. And then a zealot. A political activist who was extreme. Who was more than willing on any occasion to stab a Roman soldier or anyone who thought, that he thought, we're, we're sympathetic to the cause. They were a diverse group of people. Not only that, they were dysfunctional. I, I mean, this group, dysfunctional. Before, during, and after. Before this, you remember James and John, the Samaritans, they snubbed Jesus, and um, James and John say, listen, do you want us to call down fire to kill all these people? Which they couldn't do anyways. And Jesus is like, hey guys, you kind of like missed what I'm here for. Then during... This night, when Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. They're fighting over who will be first in the kingdom. As if they just missed everything he has said and pointed to. And then afterwards, they deny, they abandon, and many go back to fishing. This group is dysfunctional, and yet... These are the very people that Jesus stands before and says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. I love you. They didn't deserve it by any stretch of the imagination. And we don't deserve it by any stretch of the imagination. But that is the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't love like we would love at all at all. Bunyan was talking about a verse in, in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. You, you know the text. Come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and you shall find rest for your souls. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, Jesus. And he was, he was reading that and as he was reading he was just surveying his own heart and so he had this sort of back and forth going on in his heart and mind. And he went before the Lord and said I'm really messed up I hear what you said here. I'm having real trouble because I am really messed up in all kinds of ways. And I have to think this morning that many of us in this room could say the same thing. I hear what you're saying, but Lord, I know me. I'm really, really messed up. And Jesus responds and says, I understand. But Lord, there's perversity hidden in my heart and life. There are things in here that nobody knows. I would be embarrassed if it was on a screen this morning. Not just this week, but this morning. And and no one knows. It's deep inside. And Jesus responds and says, I know. Oh, I know. I know it all. But God, my past. My past. With its sin and its shame, all of it, Lord, it haunts me day in and day out. This is what I've done. This is where I've been. This is what I'm ashamed of. This is what I've repented of. And God, my past is there. How could you love me? And he says, this is why I came. I'm struggling. The burden is heavy. I never thought it would be this way. I can't even continue. And he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. I've sinned against so many people I love and I care for. And over and over again, I've sinned against you. Jesus says, this is why I died. There's more or ugliness within me. I am so sick and tired of myself. If we're honest... There's more ugliness in me than I've ever imagined. I am sick and tired of myself. And Jesus says, you are the people I've come for. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I love you. I will never, ever cast you out. My brother and sister this morning, when we talk about abiding in him, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, staying home, this is where we must stay, in his love. Quit considering yourself the way you see yourself. It's not how Jesus sees you. He sees you as one who is worth dying on Calvary for. He loves you so much that he stepped in your place and bore the wrath of God that you and I deserved on our head. He drank the cup dry for you. He loves you for who you are in Him and what you shall be. Because there is coming a day we will see Him face to face and we will be like Him. And that's what He sees. He sees a pearl of great price and a treasure. What value, what worth, what acceptance, what approval, what else do you need? Like, really, I'm serious. What else do you need? The king of the universe, the most important person ever, loves you. And as the father loved him, he loves you. And we need to stay home here. You and I daily must stay home here. You say, that's great. That's wonderful. How do I do that? And I'm glad you asked this morning. Because Jesus continues. Look at chapter 15, verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Just so that you know, here's how Jesus kept the Father's commandments. Uh, Quickly, John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food, my sustenance, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 30, He says toward the end of that, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. How do I stay home in his love? How does a believer do that when we're pulled? Our hearts are prone to wander. We do what he says. All of my boys, all four of them, we speak freely about loving each other. I love you, I love you. We, on the phone all the time, I love you. And, and that's what I want our home to be like that. But the danger in that is sometimes we say it and don't mean it. My oldest son, when he was younger, every time he was about to get in trouble and I was coming home, the first thing he would greet me with was this. I love you, Daddy. And it got to the point where I knew when he said it, I had to discipline the kid. There's something he did that just messed up. And that that so um, tainted my mind that one Sunday afternoon, years and years ago, uh, we had some kind of grappling going out on a Sunday afternoon in, in the foyer when the church was just small. And in the middle of the afternoon, I get a phone call, and the first thing the guy says is, Pastor, I love you. And I said, Bruce, what did you break? And he broke something. His head went through the wall or something. It was bizarre. I love you. And finally, after a while, I had to say to my firstborn, A.J., If you love me, do what I tell you to do. Do what I tell you to do. It's for your good. It's for your benefit. The real essence and evidence of love is obedience. We abide. We stay at home as we obey. We obey. Because when we obey the God of heaven, we are acknowledging that he is God and I am not. He knows the end from the beginning. He is a sovereign king. And not only that, he's my father. And he's a good father. He's a good father. And I can trust him. And I long to please him. So obey. So how do I know? How how can I stay here in his love and abide there and stay at home? Do what he says. So maybe you'll ask the next question. Well, where do I start? I mean, do what he says. So many words in the Bible. Where do I start? Well, thank you for asking. Look at John 15, 12. Jesus continues here. And he says this. This is my commandment. He's going to boil it all down for you. Make it really easy this morning. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The single most important, it comprehends all others, love one another. If Christ can love me as the Father loves him, I can love you, and you can love me. we got to be careful here, because... We live in a world, and not only does the world not understand love, neither do Christians. We talk about love, and we have no idea what we're talking about. L- listen, the phrase, love is love, you need to get that out of your vocabulary, because it's wrong. Love is love. So, selfish love is love? Harmful love is love? Perverse love is love? That, that That's not... That's not love. And, and we have been so indoctrinated to think that everything's love. That's not true. The Bible gives us a definition of love. If you're, what, Okay, what does it mean then to love one another? If this is the commandment, if this is how I stay and abide here, if this is where I find all the joys of being in him, at home in him, in his word and his love, what does that look like? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked again because it's right in the text. Look at verse number 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know what love looks like? It looks like dying to yourself. You die to self. In your relationships, listen to me, it is not about you. It's not about me. The glory of the church is we understand how Christ loved us. And then we then, he who gave his life for me, I then in turn give my life for others. And when the world sees that, they're amazed. Quickly now. Quickly. So we talk about commands and doing this and doing that. It's like, what, what's, what's, what's going on? Why, why, Jesus? Why, why, why? Why all of this here? Look back at verse number 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus says, the the things I just said, abiding in me, staying at home here, all of these things I told you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy, your joy might be full and mature. And and we as believers, we do need this joy. But let me remind you something about this joy. When did Jesus tell them, because he's just walking now someplace, about how great his joy was and how good his joy was and how he wanted to share it with them? Do you know where he's walking to? Gethsemane. He's walking to the garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden... He will sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, knowing that he's about to drink the cup of God's wrath against all sin. And he who knew no sin was about to become sin for us. He would agonize in that garden, panic attacks in that garden. He would know what's coming, and not only that, from there he'd be mocked and spit upon and beaten and scourged humiliated. He would die the most excruciating death on the cross of Calvary, not for his sins, but for yours and mine. And yet he says, I have joy. And I long for you to have this indestructible joy. If the cross could not take it away from Jesus, our circumstances cannot take it away from us. I want you to be full of joy. This joy is indestructible. It is so real that he wants us to have it. And yet we are so stupid, stupid, we act as if his words are burdensome. I can't do this. He acts this. He wants this for me. We keep on chasing the wind, keep on banging our heads against the wall, and keep seeking this elusive happiness outside of God that will never come. You will not find it in some potion. You will not find it in events. event. You will not find it in things or in some group. It only comes through the response of a soul that is right related back to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we're talking about is important. I'm telling you all these things so you can have indestructible joy. Now, in closing, application. How do we do this staying at home in a real, real time now about staying at home in his word, in him, in his word, and in his love? In his word, practical. Number one, how do I abide, stay at home in him? I ask him to turn my heart and to feel my need for him. Listen to the words of Tozer in a prayer that he prayed. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire, O God, the triune God. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. How do I stay home at him? I must see Jesus for who he is. Listen to me. Religious people find Jesus useful. True believers find him beautiful. Beautiful. He is altogether lovely. Ask God to turn your heart and to see his beauty. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, when you're satisfied by something that good, you don't want anything else. Stay home in him. Number two, stay home in his word. How do we do this? Read it read it i have trouble reading listen to it listen to it we have phones now you listen to the entire bible in about 72 hours listen to it fill your heart with it memorize it take a phrase any phrase like we did this morning take it like a diamond and meditate and think and see and then turn it ask questions about it and as god speaks to you turn it again and again, and again, and again. How many times in our lives we've opened the Word of God and it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, I've never seen this. And the next time we open it, it's like, I've never seen this. I've never seen this. Why? Because it is so deep. We will not plumb the depths of it. It's the Word of God. Read it. Memorize it. Listen to it. And do what you know from it. Too many of you folks, well, I'm really, I'm starting to study eschatology and soteriology and barology, blah blah blah. Great, go deep, man, go deep, go deep. But are you doing what you know? And, and Practically, like what you know when you leave this room, when you get in your car with your kids, are you doing what you know from the Word? The next time there's a problem in your marriage, are you doing what you know from the Word? Now, how do you feel? Next time the neighbor is stupid, are you doing what the Word says? Does it so control us? It's a dynamic of our life. Live life in accordance to the Word. This week, You want to abide in his word? Quit listening to our culture. Quit listening to culture, the crowd, or your feelings. Stay at home in him. Stay at home in his word. And finally this morning, stay at home in his love. Tell yourself the truth about Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus you would be if he knew you. If Jesus treated me, if I were Jesus with me, I'd be done with me a long time ago. A long time ago. Tell yourself the truth about Jesus Christ. Not who you think him to be, but who he said he is. My brother and sister this morning, when we sin, and we do sin, John says, I write these things that you don't sin. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but for the whole world. He says, don't sin, but knowing us, when you do... We have an advocate. We have one who goes before and says, yes, guilty, guilty, guilty father. The accuser is right. Yes. But I paid. That's on me. I gave myself for him or for her. He runs toward us, not away from us. And we feel dirty and we feel like I can't go. That's exactly where we need to go. Tell yourself the truth about Jesus. Tell yourself the truth about yourself. The phrase to the latest Getty song says, to wonders here I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. At the cross. My brother and sister, we are more broken and sinful than we like to hear. I'm sure every week, you're like, oh, here we go again. I'm broken, I'm sinful. Yes, yes, we are. Welcome to the club. We are more broken and sinful than we like to hear. But we are more beloved than we could ever imagine. We are more loved than we could ever imagine. And it has nothing to do with us or our performance. It's because he loves you. Tell yourself the truth about who you are and stay there. Just stay there. And when you feel like I'm drifting, when you feel like it's, just stay there. Go back to the truth of who he is and how he views you. Focus on the great commandment. commandment. The great commandment love your neighbor. And your neighbor is a person in your home too, in your church. How do I love him? Not the way culture does, but by self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice in your home, in your marriage, in the church. And I have to say, I'm really even saying this to our church family. This is a beautiful church family. I have seen people sacrifice and give of themselves week after week after week. And I thank God for it. This is how we stay in his love. Bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. And so my brother and sister this morning, we can have indestructible joy. Indestructible joy when we abide when we stay at home in him, his word, and in his love. And may we leave this morning committed, saying, God, I know, I know, difficult, hard, I'll fall, I'll stumble. but By your grace, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get it up. I'm running to you. I'm running to you. I'm running to you. Change my heart to desire more and more of the beauty of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who have gathered together to be around your word, to sing your praises. Lord, I pray that what we've heard and experienced this morning will not soon forget. Um, Spirit of God, work in our hearts. If there are those here who are visiting this morning who have been here for a long time, who don't understand the love of Christ through the salvation that he offers through the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, may today be the day that their eyes are open to your truth, that they repent and call upon you. And so, Lord, whatever you have for us in this time of invitation, this time of praise and singing, I pray we do business with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Join me in standing, if you would, this morning. If you have a need for prayer, the front is open. We'll have folks that can pray for you. Let's end on this great truth, how deep the Father's love for us.
1: As wounds which are the chosen one, bring many suns to glory. say hey. I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have made my ransom.
0: Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask or think according to the power at work with us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you for being here this morning. Uh, it was signal to me that church is over because the kids are coming in. All right, so uh, we have our picnic planned. If you can stay, please stay. Um, we have enough for everybody. Go through the lines first, and then we'll get the desserts out enjoy them. If you're a guest or visitor, thank you for being with us. Please stay and fellowship. Uh, It's no longer raining, so go outside if you want to, whatever. God bless you. You're dismissed.